How's that? <clears throat> First day of spring, Genesis 8, 20 to 22, talks about how that as uh, the earth remains, that there will be the different seasons of the year. God's promises uh, continue to roll uh, right along. We are blessings. Uh, we have the blessings of God's promises. In our Sunday morning study, great questions of the New Testament. Uh, Ken and I uh, are doing that same book, those same questions with the uh, young people in the teen class. And um, Brother Paul has also set up for me to be in here a time or two as well. And so the question uh, this morning comes from chapter 14 of the um, Leroy Brownlow book about the great questions of the New Testament. And um, if you don't have a copy of that book, it's okay, because uh, the focus this morning is um, when Jesus asked, unto what shall I liken the kingdom? Unto what shall I compare the kingdom of God? And we'll get into that together. Okay. So either next week or uh, the week after that, according to how this goes, Brother Paul then will tackle uh, the chapter that deals with um, what shall we do with Christ? What shall I do with Christ? Okay. This morning... Uh, to what shall the kingdom be compared? Question from our Lord. And our focus is Matthew 13, 31 to 33. Matthew 13, 31 to 33. We will notice uh, some of Jesus' comparisons. Okay. Get it. We are grateful to have Andrew and Kayla home with Sophia. And Andrew will be bringing us the, the lesson during worship uh, this morning. We have this time together, and we're so thankful uh, to be here. <clears throat> Good to have Larry and Kay back uh, as well. Glad y'all are safe and sound. <clears throat> okay, so Jesus, while on earth, he was uh, preparing the world for his kingdom. That's, that's a major thrust of what he's trying to do, okay, and what he did do. We remember him saying to Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give unto you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom. You see, the keys of the kingdom. That kingdom was established, and Peter was very much involved in that on the day of Pentecost. Jesus came preaching, Matthew 4, verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. It's coming. It's close, it's close at hand. And so Jesus is working. Much of what he is doing while on earth is getting the world ready uh, for the kingdom. Now, what do we mean by kingdom of God? That's, that's equivalent of saying, well, forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ is coming. Okay. All the blessings of salvation in Christ is coming. Okay. 
All the promises of the Messiah and the kingdom is coming. You recall from Daniel 2, uh, 44, uh, God said, In the days of these kings, I will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Jesus is saying that kingdom is at hand. He's preparing the world for that. He prepares us for the kingdom in, a, kingdom in a number of ways, and one of the ways he chooses to do that is through his parables. And we'll look at a couple of his parables, at least this morning. The parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. He says, I'm going to compare the kingdom to a grain of mustard seed, and I'm going to compare the kingdom to, to leaven. leaven. So we're going to work through these two hopefully this morning together. All right, so let's begin with mustard seed. Okay. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that is taken and planted into the soil. And though it's the smallest of all seeds yet, it flourishes it and it uh, becomes a, a garden plant, a tree, and it blesses uh, the earth. Okay. So let's get the principle in mind. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is going to be set up by God. And what is often set up by God is looked at as small and insignificant by mankind. Okay. But still, it will grow. Right. So that's, that's the main principle here. And I want us to, to repeat this. I want us to get this in mind. Okay. So Jesus is saying what often is set up by God is looked at as small and insignificant uh, by the world. But yet still God is in control and God will bring about its growth in the way that he wants it uh, to be done. Okay. And this is exactly the case with the kingdom uh, of heaven. Now it will grow. It will grow. Now it will not grow in accordance to the world's expectations. We, we keep in mind Matthew 7, uh, 13 and 14, where Jesus said, Few there will be that find it. Okay. Most will enter the broad way. Okay. It leads to uh, destruction. Few there are that find it, but nonetheless, it will grow. It will be looked at as small and insignificant, but it will, it will grow. It will grow among, and you, we were listening this morning, it will grow among, as we listen to the parable of the sower, okay. it will grow among the good and honest heart, Luke, Luke 8, 15. Okay. It will grow among those who, who receive it with a good and honest heart and who understand what they're, what they're hearing. That's wherein the kingdom of God uh, will grow. So, so it will grow, but it will be looked at uh, as small and insignificant by many, but still there will be those of a good and honest heart that will receive it. Look in your Bibles to Matthew 22 for just a second as Jesus gave another parable there. Matthew 22. Beginning in verse 1. Matthew 22, verse 1, Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call 
those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. See, they would not come. He sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the Come to the wedding feast, but they paid no attention and went off, uh, one to his farm, another to his business. Okay, so this this is similar to what we're saying here. Okay, it's it's as a grain of mustard seed. Okay, and to many it will be considered the kingdom will be considered as nothing much to pay attention to, nothing to capture your attention, nothing having to do with my life. But those of a good and honest heart will see the tremendous blessing behind it and will receive it. Now, let's move on in our thoughts just a little bit. This is the way it was with Jesus personally. Okay. When Jesus came and declared that he, he was setting up a kingdom, uh, what did they do with him? Well, in the end, Matthew uh, 27, 22, uh, you know, they asked, what shall we do with this Jesus? They said, away with him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And then they yelled out the more, crucify him. Okay. And so, you see, personally with Jesus, they looked upon him uh, as someone who's not really important to the world's affairs whatsoever. Okay. You see, when Jesus came to the earth, he did not have the characteristics normally associated with somebody who's going to establish an empire. Okay? Uh, he didn't have a lot of money at all. Okay? Joseph and Mary were poor. He was born into their family. You remember one time Jesus said in Luke 9, uh, 57, 58, the Son of Man has not uh, anywhere to lay his head. The foxes have their holes. The birds of the air have their nests. I don't have any place to lay my head. Jesus didn't have a lot of money. He didn't have a lot of education, John 7, verse 15. They, they ask oftentimes about Jesus. How does this man teach in such a way? And he, he doesn't know letters. He doesn't know, he doesn't have any learning. It doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't taught anything at home. It means, and it doesn't mean he couldn't learn. It means he didn't go through the regular schools that someone would would go through if uh, they were going to be someone of prestige and honor. Okay. Uh, so he didn't have a lot of wealth. He didn't have a lot of um, education. Uh, he didn't have a lot of fame. You know, John 1, 46, you recall when, when Philip came to get Nathaniel. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus was raised in a place that was not known uh, to have much prestige or honor behind it. It was the, a despised a place to be brought up in, but um, he came from that place. You know. Jesus was rejected. Okay. In fact, it was, it's prophesied in Isaiah 53, 1 through 3, that he would be despised and rejected of men. Uh, John 1, 10 through 12 says that he came into his own and what? His own received him none. John 7, verse 5 says that even his own brothers, his own fleshly brothers, didn't believe in him for a good long while. John 6, 66, uh, Jesus looked to many of his disciples and, and noticed that many of them 
as, as things got hated, many of them just left. They just left him high and dry. They just left him. Okay. So notice all the things happened with Jesus, and, and as it happened to him, you know, people paid less and less attention to him because uh, this was going to be no king. He had no money. He had no education. He had no supporters. He didn't, a lot of his supporters were, were, were leaving him. And people tried to take his life long before they crucified him. We read in such places as John 8, 59, that Jesus, uh, they tried to stone Jesus. We read in, in Luke 4 that they tried to throw Jesus off the side of a cliff one time. Okay. And so all this is to show us that Jesus' kingdom was going to appear as a small little mustard seed because the founder of the kingdom appeared this way. Going back to Isaiah 53, wonderful prophecy there. It says that Jesus would grow up as a root out of dry ground. Okay. And the reason it says that is because he would, have, he would not have the characteristics about him that would normally spell empire, that would normally spell greatness according to the world's standards. But nonetheless, um, his kingdom would be established. Okay. So... The mustard seed, the mustard seed and the kingdom comparison here, uh, to me, is, is very, very interesting. When the kingdom is finally set up and, and the ambassadors, the, the apostles, okay, they begin to do their work. They, too, were, had the same sort of characteristics as Jesus. Acts uh, 4 and 13 mentions that they are unlearned and ignorant men. It's not that they were unlearned and ignorant per se, but they were not. They were normal, hardworking, everyday fishermen type uh, men, and these are the men God chose to establish uh, His kingdom. Peter one time said uh, in the episode with the healing of the lame man, Acts three and verse six, uh, Peter said, "Silver and gold have we none." They didn't have lots of wealth uh, as well. When you get into Paul's letter to the uh, Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 26, uh, he says, um, not many noble, not many mighty, not many wise are called. Uh, many of those um, considered wise and noble and powerful uh, in the world would not receive uh, the gospel of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24 uh, mentions how that... Um, to the Jews, the gospel was a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, it was just foolishness. Okay. But still God establishes his kingdom even with these circumstances. Okay. So these are some of the thoughts that, that I think are important when you think about the mustard seed. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is going to be like a grain of mustard seed planted. The smallest of all the seeds, but yet it will still flourish. Now, I think the main lesson right is right here for the parable of the mustard seed. Okay. I want to ask you a question. Why do you think that God, in a sense, stacked the deck against Jesus and stacked the deck against the, the beginning of the church? Okay. And sort of still does. Why do you think God stacked the deck against the success of the church? 
And you think about Jesus had no money, had no, no fame, no popularity, no prestige, no education, okay? He's constantly running for his life. He's eventually crucified. He dies in the prime of his life, okay? Why do you think God stacked the deck against Christ in the beginning of his church? What, what do you think? Why, why is this? That's it. That's it. Did you hear, Miss Kay? That's it right on, right on the head of the nail to make it evident that this is of God. Okay? That's exactly why. And that's, I think that's the key behind the, the uh, grain of mustard seed here, that this church being set up, okay, in everything that God does is to be seen that it is of him and not not man. Okay. I think that's just, um, that's the application. This, this comes right to our faith, you see, okay, because the devil works on us, urging us to put faith in man. But God wants us to put faith in him alone. And God works very hard, and he explains things in such a way for us to trust in him and not man. Okay. So let's illustrate this. Let's illustrate this. Go back with me to the book of Judges for just a second. Judges. Joshua Judges chapter 7. This is the um, familiar episode when the Midianites needed to be defeated and God chose Gideon to, uh, to create this deliverance. Judges 7, you'll notice there verse 1, Jeroboam, which is another name for Gideon. All right. So the Midianites were camped against um, God's people. Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, Judges 7 verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Isn't that interesting that God would say that? You've got too many people for me to create this victory. Okay. Lest Israel, notice this now, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Why did God trim down the army to how many? How many does he trim it down to? 300. Why does he trim it down to 300? He explains it right there. Okay. Lest they should say, my own hand has saved me own hand has saved me. Another illustration of this idea of 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20, if you want to just uh, notice it, I think you'll want to mark it in your Bible. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, this is the time of Jehoshaphat, uh, king of Judah, and the Moabites and Ammonites are threatening against um, the nation there. God sends a prophet by the name of Jahaziel, verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 20. And Jahaziel says, verse 15, Listen, all Judah, all you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and listen, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Okay. That's another way of illustrating and explaining 
what God is saying here with the parable of the mustard seed. The battle belongs to the Lord, not us. Okay. It is of God's hand, uh, not ours. Okay. So to me, the parable of the mustard seed is first and foremost a, a message of faith. Of faith. You know, where is my faith uh, going to be? Is it going to be in man or God? I know that sounds simple, but we have a difficult time with this. Okay. We as human beings, we as even as Christians, we have a difficult uh, time putting our total faith uh, in God. Notice in your New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, speaking of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, Paul says, we have this treasure, gospel, in jars of clay, earthen vessels, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Then similarly in 1 Corinthians 2, as we have emphasized a time or two, verse 5, you remember 1 Corinthians 2, Paul comes into Corinth and he he had the ability to speak like the Greeks do, but he chose just to speak plainly about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 5, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, the parable of the mustard seed, I think, is a parable of faith. Okay. Jesus, first and foremost, wants those of the kingdom to have uh, surpassing faith uh, in Him. Okay? And it's also um, a good thought uh, or two about how that God uses little things to do great things uh, in this life. But we'll move on now to the next parable, uh, the parable of the leaven. The parable of the leaven. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like leaven. It's like leaven. So you know what leaven is. It's that, it's that um, agency they, they put in bread. It's the, like baking powder or yeast that's put in within meal and it causes bread to expand. Okay. So now Jesus goes from faith and being part of the kingdom to how does the kingdom, how do we, how do we become a good influence for the kingdom? It's all about influence. You see that leaven influences the bread and causes it to expand. Jesus said, in the same way that the leaven works, so we work to influence people for God. Okay, so how does leaven work? All right. Leaven works from the inside out. Leaven works unseen. Leaven works quietly. Quietly. And Jesus wants us to think about this. As we think about influencing, we all want to influence for God. How, does that, how is that supposed to happen? Okay. Now, so let's think about it for a second. We know it's not to happen by force. Jesus said in John 18, as he's before Pilate, you remember this, John 18, 35, 36, 37, he said, my kingdom is not of, not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. Okay. So 
our influence is not by, not by force. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 3 through 6 says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Okay, not carnal. We don't use any of the worldly means for influence. Okay. All right. Also, our influence is not to be by pride. Not by pride. This is really what Jesus is focusing on here with the comparison to the leaven. It's not by pride. It's not like, hey, you know, come check us out here. You know, we've got a lot of good things going on. No. No, that's not how we influence. Please don't, don't, don't be influenced by the world on this. Don't be influenced by other churches on this. It's, it's not that. It's not come and, come and see us. You know, we, we're, we're good at what we do. Okay. That's not how we influence. Okay. It's not an option here. It's not an option. Okay. The end does not justify the means. The means to Jesus are very important. If we, in, if we don't influence the way Jesus wants us to influence, then it's dishonest influence. Okay. And he doesn't want us to influence and accept the ways that he, wants, that he has done it. So it's not by force, and it's, and it's not by pride. It's not by pride. Okay. And it's not by being showy. Think about the leaven. The leaven, the leaven works in a very unassumed way, a very reserved way, not by noise. You don't hear. You don't hear the leaven working. Okay. You don't really see the leaven working. Okay. Jesus is saying to us, I don't want you to be showy. Okay? I don't want you to try to be flamboyant. Okay? I don't want you to try to be flashy. Okay? I don't want any of that. Okay? I want you to work quietly and reserved. Okay? Now look with me uh, to Luke 17 for just a second. Luke 17. And as you do, remember, uh, in addition to Luke 17 here, remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to be a light in the world. I want you to be salt. Okay. That's the kind of influence that we are to be. The sun influences a lot, but you don't ever hear from the sun. Okay. You see the sun. Let your light shine among men. Notice Jesus here in Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. Luke 17, 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, or better there, the kingdom of God is within you. See, leaven works from the inside out. Jesus talked a lot about the heart, didn't he? Matthew 12, 34, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus come to get our heart right. He said, you've heard it said you shall not murder. I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother is liable to the judgment. Okay. You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman uh, with lust in his heart commits adultery with her uh, in his heart. Okay. Jesus come to work on the heart. The heart from out, from inside out. Okay. In a reserved, silent uh, but yet very effective uh, way. 
So the parable of the leaven. The parable of the leaven. Now, how does Jesus then want us to influence? How, how can we be more specific on this? Think about some things together. Think about the things that Jesus wants us to do. And think about how they go along with leaven, salt, light, and not a flashy, uh, not a showy, okay, not a prideful sort of way. He wants us to influence through uh, simple teaching, teaching the truth in love, Ephesians uh, 4, uh, verse 15. Just teach the truth in love. Especially teach, especially emphasize the fact that God loves sinners and that God sent his son to die for our sins. Okay. Especially emphasizing that. And then God wants to, us to influence through our personal example. Be thou an example of believers, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. He wants us to influence by personal example. Let your light so shine uh, before men. He wants us to influence through love. That's how they did in the early church. To influence through, through love. They, they love one another. Jesus said as he finished up his uh, work with the disciples and washing their feet, John 13, 34 and 35, as I have loved you, then you love one another. Love and sacrifice. Love and sacrifice. That's, that's the type of influence that Jesus wants um, us to have. And that creates the unity. The unity. This is how uh, Jesus wants the world uh, to be influenced. Remember in John 17, 20 and 21, uh, he said, I'm praying for you uh, that you all may be one, okay? that the world may believe that the Father has sent me. Okay? So he prayed that we would all be one. So, so through teaching, example, love, and unity and benevolence, doing good works, okay? Doing good works, just simply, humbly doing good works. They were zealous of good works, Titus 2.14. You can read for yourself throughout the New Testament how many good works the early church uh, was involved in. And through, through high moral living, this is one thing that really influenced the early church and, and influenced the early society there, uh, was that they, they married their wives and stayed with them. They conducted themselves well. They, were not, they, they stopped being drunkards. They stopped being thieves. Their lives became um, lives of example and lives of purity. Okay. And then also through courage, through courage, okay. no matter what you did to those early disciples, whether you stoned their friends whether you threw them in jail, they would not give up their faith. This became very impressive. It is impressive. And it, it became influential upon the early uh, world in those days. So this parable of the leaven is a parable of influence. How do we influence? Well, uh, it's not through pride, certainly not by force, but through these through these quieter, gentler means, okay, just the way Jesus did it. Okay. So we are to do it. Okay. And to me, uh, that means we have to learn to be patient. Okay. We, 
sometimes we get panicky. We get panicky. Okay. But the nature of, of the kingdom requires patience. You, it takes patience for the leaven to have its work. Okay. It takes patience for the seed to grow. And so Jesus would have us to be patient people. To be patient, you must believe. You must believe in the power of the gospel. To be patient, you must, you must believe that God is going to come through with his blessings. As we do good, do I believe that God will come through? Will, will God give the increase? Will God bless as we sow? Will God bless as we do? Okay. Yes, he will, but do I believe that? We must we must be patient. We must, we must be people who are in the world, not, be, not following the world, not trying to be like the world, but be in the world so the world can see uh, Jesus living in us. You see, this, is, this is a parable of the leaven. And so there's a lot to this. That's why I just chose, I think in chapter 14, of the book, Jesus compares in the, the kingdom to several different things. Okay. But uh, for this morning, just want to narrow it down to these two, and basically it comes down to our faith and the way we influence. And the way we influence is as important as anything Jesus uh, has ever taught. All right. So I wanted to give you time to respond and comment. I didn't. I I did. Yeah. When you talk about seeds and leaven and how we influence, warmth comes to mind. Our, our warm interaction with others. Mm -hmm. and, and that allows growth. Both right. of those things. We see light. Mm -hmm. Warmth interaction, not self-righteous. Right. Yeah, Miss Susan is saying the warmth involved in this leavening and seed sowing uh, is important for growth, and the, the world longs for that. The world longs for that, that, that we care. That's right. That's good. And it's not self-righteous. Jesus was trying to destroy self-righteousness in a lot of what he was doing. Thank you very much. We'll talk more about uh, these comparisons for the kingdom a little bit later on.